Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Well, good morning, dear friends. Um, Our Bible reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians, um, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. And in the New International Version, which we're reading from, the heading is, Praise for Spiritual Blessings in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestinated us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in according with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Thank you, Eugene. Good morning, everybody. All righty. Oh, as you can see, I welcome you all to join us. There's going to be a couple of interactive questions as we work our way through today. Um, So please grab your phones out, scan the QR code. It'll be there in future slides too, so if you miss it, uh, it will always be there. Or you can check out WhatsApp. Uh, if you're in that as well. My name is Nathan Sue. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's like Ian's here, right? Um, at Mooney Ponds Baptist Church. Um, and let's dig into this. Have you guys ever caught yourself telling a story about something, but in the back of your mind, there's a bigger story that you're really trying to say? Like, this happened to me the other day. Like, we recently started collecting, you know, those recyclable bottles or you're like... Um, rebate, 10 cent rebate with the Victorian rebate scheme. 
So we took the boys to one of those um, reverse, um, I guess we call them uh, vending, that's the word, vending machines, <laughs> where you can deposit all your collective bottles. Um, and of course, the kids had a blast. Um, they really enjoyed seeing the vending machine take all the bottles. And we made a sweet $3.70. That's pretty good. Um, of course, we got talking about, you know, why we need to recycle, um, why it's good for the environment, um, and how we all had to play our role. But when I took a step back, what I was really saying was underpinned by our need to take care of God's creation and look after and steward what we've been entrusted with. Right? So we link ordinary events with larger issues in our own lives all the time, right? Maybe you've done this yourself uh, when you saw your last grocery bill and then tied it to the rising cost of living that we're all experiencing today. Or maybe you've been stuck in traffic and you've complained about the need for you know, better infrastructure. Uh, or maybe you've played a video game and with pay-to-win in-game purchases and complained about how big corporations are creating predatory marketing schemes and targeting impressionable younger people. Is that just me? Okay. Um, I mean, sharing stories in a sermon is in itself an example of trying to get you all to think about the bigger picture, isn't it? How am I going to link this to the bigger story that we're all going to explore together? We're going a bit meta today, but that's okay. As we continue in our series, Living with Purpose, today we're looking at the bigger question. What is our purpose? And that's a really loaded question, isn't it? Like individually, we spend years figuring out who we are, what we're good at, what we're passionate about in order to you know, maybe have a sense of what our purpose might be in this world. And that can be a pretty tricky thing to do, can't it, right? But for now, what do you all think your purpose is? And if we unpack that question even more, we begin to ask ourselves, what is our purpose as a community, you know, as a nation, as human beings? These are really important questions to, to grapple with, right? And these are the same questions that the people back in Ephesus, the people of the early church, were grappling with back in the time of Paul. Oh, perfect. Serving others, heaven on earth, serve God. I don't know. No idea. It's very honest. Great. Love. Awesome. Thanks for your responses so far. Feel free to continue responding to that question, and we'll come back to it later, I promise. You see, the people of this time were trying to figure out how their own story and history fit into the greater story of God, Jesus, and redemption, not only for the Israelites themselves, but for the wider world. And so Paul, in his letter to the church of Ephesus, he's taking their story, the story of the Israelites, and showing them how their story fits into the bigger picture of God. For us to better understand this, we probably need to lay down some groundwork and remember who the people Paul is writing to and their history. I think it's often easy for us to pick up a Bible and see a wider perspective of God's story, right? However, however for those people living in Ephesus, the New Testament really wasn't a thing they had access to. Like, what they did have going for them, though, was their own story. And that begins in Genesis, 
in the creation narrative that speaks to the Israelite people about where they came from, the account of sin and the consequences of choosing to follow their own path instead of the Lord's. Like These are the people that are defined by the call of Abraham, the redemption of Israel from Egypt, and the choice of Israel as God's holy people. This is part of their experience. It's their history. It's their story. And as we come to this letter in Ephesians, this is all a part of what's in Paul's mind as he articulates his message to them. This whole section that we had read by Eugene, verses 3 to 14, it's actually one big, long sentence in the original Greek. It's 202 words in total. I think no full stops, right? It's the longest sentence in the New Testament. Paul is writing to paint a vision. He's building intensity. He's spitting bars of a grand picture of greatness of God and his plan for the world. So as we work through this, keep in mind the context and the stories that Paul and the people he's writing to hold so dearly to their hearts. So Paul opens with an expression of praise in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, in our culture, there's often this idea that heaven is like a distant place, like up there where God resides. And sometimes we tend to see spiritual stuff as almost disconnected from the real tangible world around us. So you could easily think that the blessings that is being mentioned here um, is something that we only get after we die. But here's the thing. This perspective overlooks the richness of the terms heavenly realms and spiritual blessings. So when you actually look at the original Greek, the phrase translated, uh, it's translated as in the heavenly realms. So it's with the idea of places and realms being implied. In Jewish visions, heaven was often portrayed as this intricate, multi-layered space. These heavenly realms were thought to be the dwelling places of supernatural beings, including God himself. So five times in Ephesians, this phrase is used, and it's only used here in Ephesians. And we learn that the heavenly realms, they are the place of spiritual beings, in chapter 1, verse 3. They are the place where God and Christ are seated above other supernatural powers, in chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. It's the place to which Christians have been raised and seated with Christ, chapter 2, verse 6. It's the place in which supernatural rulers and authorities dwell, chapter 3, verse 10. And it also includes the spiritual forces of evil, in chapter 6, verse 12. So the heavenly realms is where God, at the highest level, is seated. It's not just God. There are other supernatural beings, both good and evil, dwelling in these heavenly realms. And what happens up there has an impact on us as humans, and interestingly, those of us who have embraced God's grace through Christ are in some way seated with Christ in these heavenly realms. So the blessings God has showered upon us in the heavenly realms aren't reserved for some afterlife or sporadic moments of spiritual bliss on earth. The deal is, because we've already started living in these heavenly realms with Christ, we're already tasting and experiencing God's blessings right here in our earthly lives. So, as we reach verses 4 to 6, let me be really upfront here. 
Over the years, these verses have sparked intense you know, theological discussions. Some traditions view them as evidence supporting the truth of God's election and predestination, some destined for salvation and in some certain beliefs, destined for damnation. On the flip side, proponents of free will will interpret these verses to signify that Christ is the chosen one, and those who choose to believe in him partake in the benefits of his election and sonship. So while these verses are undeniably relevant to debates about election, predestination, and free will, I'd like to propose a shift in focus. Instead of merely inviting us to debate, I believe verses four to six serve as an invitation to worship. Like when we actually grasp that profound reality that God has chosen us to be his own out of sheer love, it's not just a topic for discussion, but it's a reason for our hearts to overflow with gratitude and blessing. So the concept of God blessing and choosing us to be holy and blameless in his sight, it actually resonates significant, like, with significant narratives in the Old Testament. So in Genesis, we see God choosing Abram, promising to bless him, and through him bless all peoples on earth. And this choice is rooted in God's own will. It's independent of Abram's worthiness. In Exodus, we witness God graciously liberating his people from Egyptian bondage. God selects them out of all nations to be his treasured possession. And he designates them as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Once again, God's choice of Israel isn't dependent on their impressive qualities or righteousness, but rests on his sovereign will And that's it. So Paul is putting together the story of these people. He's pairing it with the bigger story of God. Fast forward to the era of Christ, and we observe God blessing us in a manner reminiscent of his blessing to Abram. In Christ, God sets us apart to be holy, just as he did with Israel. Through Christ, we become treasures in God's sight, mirroring the special status Israel held in the past. It's a beautiful continuity of God's sovereign choices and blessings throughout history. And these references to Exodus, the Exodus narrative continue as we pick up in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now remember, this is all still one sentence, yeah? Paul has a lot on his mind. And as you can see, it's all kind of working out here. The parallels between the Old Testament Exodus and the redemptive work of Jesus in Paul's perspective are pretty striking. In Exodus, the Israelites experienced liberation from Egypt through the application of lamb's blood on their doorposts. Now, according to Paul, the shedding of Jesus' blood accomplishes redemption from the enslavement to sin. It's a transformative event actively unfolding. So in Paul's view, Jesus is leading a new exodus, a profound redemption characterized by buying back, delivering, and rescuing. And this imagery of exile it's really relevant and powerful to these first century Jews. 
their historical memories include like their northern tribes, they're being exiled to Assyria, and their southern tribes exiled to Babylon. Being away from their land is equated with a journey toward death. They long for a new exodus, a return home. And in this moment, they are now living under Roman occupation in their homeland. They feel an ongoing sense of exile. Their hope is anchored in the anticipation of a redeemer who will usher in a new exodus, bringing them back to the fullness of their relationship with the Most High. It's a powerful narrative. It's their story, both historically rooted and prophetically hopeful, woven into the fabric of who they are as Israelites. And so with all this history, all this tension, Paul takes it and links it back to God, saying, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. So God chose to reveal his plan. And this like concept of divine mysteries, well, they were deeply ingrained in Jewish thought. It's really evident in a lot of Jewish scriptures. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it states, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And in the book of Daniel, where it emphasizes God as the one who reveals mysteries, especially to chosen individuals. But now, in Christ, the mystery of God, once reserved for a select few, is now unveiled for all people. In Christ, the revelation of God's mystery becomes made known for the whole world, encompassing all of humanity. And this is God's plan, as we read in verse 10, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So Paul's emphasis is crystal clear. It's all about Jesus. God's plan is to bring unity to all creation through Christ. The entirety of the universe will be restored to its proper order when every element finds its rightful place within Christ. Whether it's through him, under him, or in him, the central focus is the Messiah. He is the game changer, the chosen one, the elected and main heir. He's inheriting all the promises from the Father. And what's remarkable is that he desires to share us all to share in his inheritance, reaching out to both his people in Israel and those from the wider nations. Our gathering, our reason for being here, is to worship this transformative figure who, regardless of opinions, has left an undeniable mark on the world. People are still talking about him. We're still talking about him today, 2,000 years later. That's no small feat. God's desire is for all to inherit the kingdom of God. And this inheritance isn't just a distant future, right? The kingdom is here now, although not fully realized. Jesus, in his teachings, constantly hammered on about the kingdom, urging us to live in it. It's the heartbeat of his message and a reality that shapes our worship and our lives today. So we come back to that question again. What is our purpose? Like many of you shared some of your thoughts earlier. Thank you for that. But for Paul, our purpose for humanity, our reason for living, is built around the praise of God's glory. As we read from verse 11 to 14, and I welcome you to join me in reading this out loud. Let me pull this up. I hope you can see that. 
In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Did you notice like halfway through, In verse 13, there was a notable shift from we to you. Check it out. Commentators generally agree that this refers to we being the first Jewish believers and you being the latter Gentile believers. And that's really important. Like That that inclusion of Gentiles who were once excluded from God's people is really important. Now through Christ, they are a part of the people of God. <clears throat> they, they possess everything without the requirement of becoming Jewish. And this emphasis lies not in highlighting the differences between the groups, but underscoring their shared identity in Christ. Now importantly, the key message in verse 11 to 14 that Paul ends this section on is that God <clears throat> has set apart a people destined for the praise of his glory. Paul is telling a praise-inspiring, life-transforming story of God. Within this story, God pours out immeasurable blessings on us, driven by the depth of his grace. And these blessings started even before the world was made, when God chose us to be his and follow his plans. Even when people mess things up with sin, you know, God didn't stop caring. Instead, he forgave us and showed us his special plan to bring everything together in heaven and earth. And God's doing this all through Christ. And so when we trust in Christ, we actually become a part of God's story. We have a special connection with God and a unique purpose to live in a way that brings praise to his greatness. And this might be a bit unsettling to many of us because we kind of live in a culture which focuses on the self. Like even within Christianity, there are various versions of the gospel that are often tailored to a me-centered perspective. So the realization that God's story, story is essentially his own story might feel a bit unsettling. We sometimes fall into the trap of being conditioned to think that being a Christian is mainly about enhancing our own personal story. Of course, God does make our individual stories better, though not necessarily in ways which we might initially think. What is most important is not our own story, but rather our understanding, sharing, and living within God's overarching story of restoration in Christ. Rick Warren, the author of the book, The Purpose Driven Life, put it this way. He writes, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. 
It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. So like the members of the early church trying to find their place in God's story, we too can discover and live for God's purposes by discovering our own place in God's story. According to, the, to Paul in his letter, God wrote us into the script before creation. He chose us to be set apart for him and his purposes. And this 202-word sentence of Paul's helps us discover that we actually play a crucial role in God's story. Now, do we have any Lord of the Rings fans here? Yeah? Excellent. Good. Side note, why didn't they just take the eagles to begin with? But I digress. We're, we're a little bit like Frodo in the Lord of the Rings, okay? So the tale kicks off with Frodo. He's just an ordinary hobbit leading his uneventful life. Sure, he possesses this like unusual ring from his uncle Bilbo, but he's blissfully unaware of how this ring will thrust him into a much larger story, an epic clash between good and evil. With the guidance of the wise wizard Gandalf, Frodo realizes that his role in this grand saga will reshape not only his own life, but possibly the entire world of Middle-earth. As Frodo steps into this expansive narrative, his actions carry immense weight. His choices and efforts become pivotal in the battle between good versus evil. And although the story isn't primarily about Frodo, his involvement is critical. Similarly, in our own case, we don't single-handedly defeat evil, do we? Like that colossal task of overcoming sin, death, and demonic forces belongs to Christ alone. Yet, as people set apart for God by his purposes, existing for the praise of his glory, we play an essential, though not leading, role in God's unfolding story. And as we allow God's story to permeate our thoughts and expand our hearts, it actually becomes the framing story of our own lives God's story becomes the overarching story that gives meaning to our individual stories. Understanding, sharing, and living this story transforms us, offering us a new perspective of life and a fresh sense of purpose. So God's story guides our choices, shapes our values, and reframes our whole worldview. Over time, as we let God's narrative mold us, our own personal stories will increasingly mirror that of God's story. And while our individual stories might not make it to, you know, the bestseller list or the big screen, each of us has the potential to undergo a profound transformation when God's story intertwines with our own. We can all encounter the saving love of the divine providing us with a renewed purpose in life. We have the opportunity to respond to God's story and allow him to reshape our own stories, guiding us to live in a way that brings praise to his glory. And as the band comes back up, how do we live for the praise of God's glory today? Like living to bring praise to God's glory isn't just for special occasions or Sunday mornings. It's something we can and should do in 
everything we do. Our regular activities can be acts of worship as we dedicate them to God. If we look at the bigger picture in Ephesians, it's about making every part of our lives a way to praise God's glory. Sometimes people think only the spiritual stuff is important to God and everything else is less significant. They might believe that God's main goal is just saving souls and things like going to church matter because they help us focus on God instead of the everyday things. And these are important things too, no doubt. But when we really read into Ephesians, we see that God cares about everything. It's not just the spiritual stuff. Yes, God wants to save people, but there's more to it as well. God's big plan is to bring everything together in Christ, including things here, right here on earth. This means God cares about our everyday lives and wants to make them better as a part of fixing our own broken world. We can live in a way that brings praise to God who created everything and is bringing everything together in Christ. I, like, I love coming together, praising and worshipping God on a Sunday. But this is only a short amount of time that we have together. It's about praising God throughout the rest of the week too. Like, if you're coaching sports, do it while encouraging and uplifting those who you've been entrusted with to lead. And do it with the, the love of Jesus leading your voice. Or if you're a schoolmate, right, take the time to notice and care for those on the outside of social circles. Actually go and show love to them, yeah? Or if you're working in an office, be proud of the work that God has entrusted you with. Love the work that you do. And love the people around you because Jesus still loves you despite all of our flaws, right? It doesn't matter if your job is cleaning bathrooms or if you're running a big company, whether you're focused on raising kids or focused on your grades, whether you're leading worship in a church or leading a band in high school, Ephesians encourages you to do it all for the praise of God's glory. And if your story isn't linking up with God's story, if you want to be a part of God's story and experience his love, please come speak to me after. I'd love to chat. I'd love to pray with you. Let God's big story shape your whole life as you take part of his work of bringing everything together in Christ, both in heaven and on earth. Amen.